listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. Hosted by high-stakes headhunter, author, and professional speaker, Scott Love. Hey, this is Scott Love, and thanks for listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. As you know, this podcast is focused on helping those in the business of getting business to get more business, better business, and eventually all the business from your clients. Now, just to give you some perspective, there's one reason why I produce this, and it's to give content to those people that I want to get to know. Within my recruiting practice, it's partners with global law firms. A partner doesn't care about moving until he or she wants to move, but they care about getting more clients every day, which is why I produce this. And I send this out to people in that list of people that I've talked with. And we've had, we had probably about 5,000 downloads last month. There's a lot of people from all different industries that listen to this. So you might hear some guests where their content is just going to affect and impact those purely in legal. Probably I'd say about one out of 10, it's going to be like that. We'll have other guests where they're from the legal industry, but everything they talk about can apply to what most people do, even if they're not in the business of legal services. Our guest today is Jay Harrington. He was on our show last week, and today we're talking about improving processes and systems within your practice. This is going to apply to everybody who's listening today. Just to give you an idea of who Jay is, he's a consultant where he consults to those in the legal industry on business development, and he and his colleague Tom Nixon produce a podcast that I'd highly recommend. It's called the Thought Leadership Project Podcast. Listen to Jay today, and also if you have any ideas on who you'd like to see me interview or, or hear me interview on the show, let me know. Just send me an email. My email is scott at attorneysearchgroup.com. If there's a book that you've read written on sales or client development, let me know and I'll check it out and I'll ask that author to be a guest here on the show. Anyways, thank you for your support and thank you for sharing this with people on social media. And uh, anyways, without further ado, here's my friend, Jay Harrington. Hey, this is Scott Love. Thanks for joining me on the Rainmaking Podcast. I've got with me Jay Harrington again for our second show featuring him and his expertise related to building scale and developing a niche. Jay, thanks for joining me again on the show. Scott, it's great to be back with you again. Absolutely. And I like the content that you've written. It's nice that you and I kind of target the same people, but with different motives, different business models, but it's all about the same thing, helping those that are lawyers to reach their goals in terms of growing their business and their niche. And uh, even though this show is to professional services, even though your niche is just legal, everything that you talk about can apply to everybody. And I think that's great. And so on our last show, we talked about developing your niche, kind of finding your lane, talking about developing that brand of authority. And I liked how you said that when you build that momentum, reporters start calling you and then you're able to connect with people a lot easier Let's say that somebody listening to this has done those things and they're looking to create capacity, build processes and systems. What, what can you share with those listeners regarding those areas? Yeah, so that's, that's where it really comes down to because, you know, some of the other things we've talked about are very strategic in nature in terms of, you know, narrowing your focus and things of, uh, of that sort. And this is where, 
you know, you get to the point where you need to start taking action and to take action, it's important, obviously, to have the capacity to do so. And for most professionals, that means, you know, figuring out how you're going to allocate your time effectively. So certainly scaling your practice is dependent upon creating capacity to work on your practice and not merely in your practice. Right. If you're spending all of your time focused on billing hours and and keeping up with the administrative tasks that are mandated by your firm, then it's going to be really hard to find the time to work on the important but not necessarily urgent issues related to building and scaling your practice. And let me ask you about that. What's the difference between the important things and the urgent things and where should somebody spend their time? Yeah, so I like to break it down. It, this this comes largely from uh, what some people might be familiar with is called the Eisenhower Matrix, where Dwight Eisenhower created a framework to think through all of the myriad issues that he had to deal with. And, and so there's basically four boxes, but box one and box two of the quadrant are on the top left, it would be important and urgent issues. Um, and oftentimes for professionals, that means client work, right? It's important and it's oftentimes urgent. Now, quadrant two, that's where tasks that are important but not necessarily urgent fall into. And, and this is where I think a lot of people have a hard time finding time to do quadrant two important but not necessarily urgent tasks. So these right. would be things like business development or skill building, learning, all the things that are easier to put off because you're not on a deadline. So if you're a lawyer, obviously you're going you're gonna to get that brief done because uh, the, the statute, the rules of civil procedure, the court has mandated you do so. The important but not necessarily urgent issues are ones that you have to set a deadline for yourself. So that makes it harder. Right. So, and to find that time and to find time to do those important, not not necessarily urgent uh, tasks, you do need to create capacity. And, and that gets down to really examining, ruthlessly examining your priorities. There's research by a gentleman by the name of uh, Julian Birkinshaw, who's a professor at the London School of Economics. And he did an interesting study that found that most knowledge workers spend 41% of their time on discretionary activities that provide little personal satisfaction, little value, and are capable of being handed off to others. And that's that's important because, you know, when it comes to really digging in and, and moving ahead with your career on things like business development, merely finding one hour a day is often what you need to be able to do those things. That's 10% of most people's work days. Mm-hmm. So when you think about the fact that maybe 40% of what you're doing maybe can be done by somebody else and, and you shouldn't be doing, you should be moving on to higher value tasks, that makes things like elimination of tasks and delegation of tasks really important. So those things are critical to scale. And so, you know, I'd encourage people to, to really do a, an honest assessment of their daily activities and determine what needs to get done, but not necessarily by you. You know, there's probably other people that you can hand those tasks off to and find more time for yourself. And then also, you know, consider what you can eliminate altogether. This oftentimes requires you to have the discipline to say no upfront to low value tasks and therefore not commit yourself in the first place. But there are things like recurring meetings that, you know, you don't necessarily need to be at or, you know, we all like to go to lunch with our colleagues, you know, when that when that's possible again. 
and it's important, but maybe not, you know, every day or whatever. So there's, there's things that can be eliminated from one schedule that I think will help them to really find the time and the capacity needed to work on things that are necessary to scale your practice. So two things that come to mind when you're talking about this, Jay, is that this takes real clarity. Somebody needs to be very intentional about what is a priority, what is important to them, what can they delegate, what, and they have to be willing to let go of that. But it also takes commitment somebody that really can say no to certain things, that's uh, breaking habits. How would you advise somebody to kind of get to that point where they've got this real clarity and this real commitment to doing these things? Yeah, well, I think it, it all ties back to, you know, what is your long-term vision? I think that we are most productive when we attach our productivity to a I'll call it a higher purpose, but I don't mean that. And I just mean that more in the work sense. Like, what are you really trying to achieve? If you don't have that vision, then it's hard to really determine what your priorities are. When you do have a clear vision of what the future entails for you, then it makes it easier to deal with those decisions as they come your way. And you're right, Scott, I like how you you call this a habit. And it is. And like any habit development, I suggest starting small. There's some low-hanging fruit here that I think everyone can eliminate or delegate uh, from their schedules. And, you know, it's not, you don't try to do everything all at once. You try to do something that's easy and that you can, you know, gain some momentum from. And, And once you start seeing the benefit of doing these things, being more ruthless about your time, then you'll start to do more of the thing that's bringing you a benefit. And it's really, that's, you know, that's how all good habits are developed. Well, let me kind of take it a step back. I do want to talk about processes and systems and things like that here in a second. And I like exactly what you're saying. I think it's brilliant. Do you think, and tell me from your past experience, when you work with attorneys, whether they're associates or partners, do you help them to kind of visualize and see this is the potential of what you can do? This is how much you can bill in terms of your book. This is how much you could earn. This is the vision that you need to have for yourself. Do you kind of help them to paint that picture, show them that you could be quoted in the Wall Street Journal, you could be an American lawyer, uh, you could be speaking at bar association or trade association meetings? Is that something that you kind of help them visualize? Yeah, absolutely. And casting a vision is almost always the beginning point of any new coaching engagement that I, I work with a you know an attorney uh, on. And it's really the foundation of what you're doing. And there's several reasons for that. The big one in my mind is when you have a vision, you can, again, as I mentioned, really attach your productivity to that vision. And then it also really helps with something people are going to be thinking about, you know, very shortly, if, if not already, which is goal setting. How can you set effective goals for yourself if you don't know where you're headed, you know, right. further down the road? And then, so let's say you've got a 10-year vision that is in line with many of the things that you talked about, Scott, you know, building a big book of business, you know, becoming a, a recognized thought leader. You know, when you do that, you then have, more effective goals. And what more effective goals allow you to do is to deconstruct those goals into an actionable plan for today, for example. Again, you have a sense of what you should be doing today to move you closer to those goals, which then allow you to move closer to that vision. So the the thing is, you know, it does get hard sometimes for people to visualize what's possible in the future. And for anyone who's working at a firm, I simply ask them to to kind of look around the halls of their of their office and there's probably people in your firm who have achieved what perhaps you 
don't think is possible for yourself. But seeing someone else in your environment, having done those things already, allows you to kind of model your own behaviors and start to believe in yourself to a greater degree. Yeah, absolutely. If one person can do something, so can somebody else, right? That's right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's possible. It's not easy because sometimes we doubt ourselves, but seeing others having done it in the same environment we're in is oftentimes very helpful. Yeah, and something that's helped me, and I, and I know you've talked a lot about that imposter syndrome. In my world, when I started out recruiting, I would look at what other successful recruiters had done. I would imagine, I mean, I would use my imagination that I'm a big biller. I would start walking the way a big biller walks. I'd start talking the way a big biller talks. And all of a sudden you become that person. It's like pre-playing and replaying. I would pre-play the shot in my mind that I'm going to take. I'm going to pre-play how I envision this going. And then I'm going to replay previous shots that I've made that went well. And I think that kind of helps people to build up that inner confidence that we all need. Everybody has doubt, but over time, the more you accomplish, the more you can draw from that reservoir of strength and, and rebuild that confidence. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, absolutely. I especially with with when I'm working with associates, I oftentimes explain to them that, you know, the one thing that you need to accomplish is to get if you if you're hoping to make partner in your firm is getting the partners in your firm to start visualizing you as one of their colleagues, right? Mm. You need to start acting like a partner and and getting people to think of you that way before you can become one. So that's that, this whole idea of acting as if you are something. You got to act as if you are the thing you want to become. And that sounds a little bit, you know, perhaps a woo-woo or however you want to describe it. But that, <laughs> I think there is, I think there's a lot of truth to it that you do have yeah. to embody the identity that you that you hope to achieve. Because you know, our actions tend to follow our identity and not the other way around. So oftentimes you you need to start acting like the thing before you become it. Absolutely. I think we kind of telegraph to other people how they need to see us based on how we see ourselves and how we act, that whole thing. So so let's kind of talk about processes and systems. Uh, Tell me about what do you mean by that? Why is that important? What are some areas in which lawyers and other professionals should focus on creating systems? Yeah, so systems are the things that allow you to run your practice like a well-oiled machine. You know, you have, they're more streamlined, they're more productive and, and more profitable. And we oftentimes think of systems as things that are built into businesses, but I think they're critical to think about uh, building into individual uh, practices as well. And the reason that I think more lawyers don't think in terms of systems thinking is that they view what they do as the delivery of, you know, these bespoke services. But in reality, I think to a large degree, much of the work done by by lawyers is or should be more akin to a repeatable process. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, to put a definition on systems, they're basically sets of processes, tools, strategies, and people who are integrated into the systems that all work together to solve or achieve a goal or solve a problem or achieve a goal in this case. So, you know, that's where you start to need to think about yourself as the CEO of your practice and designing systems that allow you to steadily remove yourself from the low value tasks so you can start focusing more attention on high value ones. You know, the, right. the truly, there are bespoke services and these are the ones that you want to be focused on with most of your time, the strategic work that commands the high rates. So right. that's kind of laying some groundwork for, I think, what systems are. We can dig into you know, what, what they are in a more practical sense in a, in a legal practice as well. Yes. Yeah, so, and give me some examples. Is this 
looking at, let's say an attorney or a professional has a prospective client. Is there a system related to the intake of that client? Is there a system related to managing the work? What have you seen in your experience in terms of how successful professionals created and managed those types of systems? Yeah, so I kind of break them into two categories. So there are the systems that are a little bit more administrative in nature, and then there are the systems that allow for legal work to get done. So the systems that are more administrative in nature would be things like developing really good delegation strategies, maybe working with your assistant for things like like client onboarding, Scott, like you mentioned, mm-hmm. or even something that, you know, oftentimes not much thought has uh, gone into, but things like sending out retention or engagement letters as well, or billing clients, those kinds of things. So, so if we think about, you know, turning over work, delegating work to your administrative assistant to create something like new engagement letters, you simply can't assign the responsibility of the task without the proper documentation and guidance that you're you're giving to that person. And that means that you really need to design and understand the system really well and then document it for those who are you're delegating the work to and training them on how to do it right. And where people run into problems is that you know you, you start to have the mindset as as someone who who wants to turn that over perhaps or thinks sees the value in doing that but then believes well you know I probably can do it better and I certainly can do it faster so I might as well just do it myself it's only going to take yeah. me 10 minutes but that 10 minutes adds up over time right so it may take you 10 hours to design the system and turn it over for something that might take you 10 minutes a, a few days a week but you know just do the simple math and at some point turning it over, doing the investment, creating the system is going to have a a huge compounding return on investment over time. You're going to make up for all that time you spent training pretty quickly. And then it's all gravy from there. Yeah, that's right. That's great. Do you think should the the person that you're consulting to, let's say when you help them figure out these these tools that you're suggesting, should they flow it out on paper? Should they look at their process flow of work? Should they break it down kind of like the way a management consultant would and in terms of a a manufacturing company, what what are some ways that you've advised people to help them really put some action steps into these systems? Yeah. So I I think it starts with, you know, identifying the objective, right? That's what you want to be able to really make clear for the people you're delegating work to. And then, yeah, that, that simple checklist or workflow that you design that really thinks through, you know, how to get from point A to point B. And importantly, though, I think what, what you should be thinking about when you're delegating is not designing the system with every step built out with such great specificity, but rather having the person you're going to delegate the work to be an integral part of designing that system. They're the one that's going to do the work. They're going to feel much more invested in the outcome if they feel like uh, they have ownership over the design of the system. So work together, you know, lay out the framework, define the objective, and then integrate those who you're delegating work to, to help in designing the system. And then continue to revisit it. The idea is that this is not a, a one-time event, but rather something you're going you're to refine over time. You want to be able to develop the system because the person who's currently doing the work may not be there forever, and you want right. them to be able to turn it over to someone else as well. So integrating them into that will help to facilitate it. Those are great ideas. And that also requires leadership. It requires team building. How do you think lawyers, other professionals, how can they enlist others to help in their journey to really building this practice? 
this very successful yeah. practice. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's key. I think that we need to think about really building teams around us as lawyers, and that that. I think many people get that, but you know it's something that needs to be nurtured and fostered. And and leadership is what uh, you know. True leadership is what attracts people towards a shared vision and mission. So again, this idea of enlisting others in the journey is critically important. When you're setting a vision for yourself, you want to also set a vision that's attractive and valuable for others uh, who will join you in that journey as well. I mean, the, the lawyers who have really big practices, I mean, I, I know people who have, you know, say $20 million practices and above, they have created incentives and structures and, and exhibit leadership that has allowed you know, their, quote, lieutenants who are helping them to realize their own vision, realize theirs as well. And that's key. That's critical. So, you know, once you've kind of created the systems in place, then you start plugging the right people into those systems. And again, crafting a shared vision that is really attractive to everyone. So you'll probably start building your team on a small scale, but that will grow with you as your organizational chart of your practice grows as well. And over time, you know, again, the, the idea with enlisting other people um, in your journey is that you can continue to extract yourself on an incremental uh, but consistent basis so that you can continue to trade up to higher level tasks and add more value and extract yourself from the day-to-day client management work right. and really start to focus on things like leadership, like scale, and like business development that helps grow the practice. So it's really kind of the last key component of thinking about you know, building those consistent teams that will help you in your own journey and thereby helping themselves in the process. That's great. And, and I can hear some people right now, they're saying, Jay, this sounds great, but I just don't have time. And in reviewing your book, the Productivity Pivot book, which I think is fantastic, and I want to talk more about that in a second, I know you gave some suggestions for people if they say, I just don't have the time to do all this. What would you recommend to that person that wants to build a practice, that wants to put systems in place, that wants to really figure this out, but they just feel overwhelmed? What, what action steps would you recommend for that person? If you could kind of maybe, maybe even summarize it up in our three action steps, what would you recommend for people to really get started on these things? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, it really starts with a, a mindset shift. A few of them, in fact. I mean, one is that you know your your highest value is not necessarily billing hours for the firm, but rather growing the pie. Really building a practice that keeps not only yourself but others in your firm busy. And the only way to do that is to start you know thinking about you know over the long term. You know, while the short term rewards of maybe billing a hundred more hours this year will be higher, the long term rewards of actually building a sustainable, scalable practice will be much greater. So long-term thinking is really required. And that's why, you know, a first action step might be setting aside a few hours. Maybe it's on a weekend or in an evening session where you're thinking about your long-term vision, thinking about what's possible for the future, being ambitious and really crafting a vision that aligns with what you hope to achieve. And that that will, again, sort of serve as the touchstone for, for all of this work. You know, next is, you know, from that vision, really create a plan for yourself. You know, we know from research that when you write down your goals, when you write down your plan, you're much 
there's a much higher likelihood that you're actually going to achieve it. So be detailed. Think really, think strategically about what you need to do. And then as a third step, you know, as we talked about create capacity. This is where, you know, when I'm coaching clients, the first two steps where we're thinking about a vision, we're, we're really setting some goals and creating a plan of action. That's a process that clients oftentimes find enjoyable. You know, they're able to work through that fairly quickly. But you're right, Scott, when it comes down to, okay, now go, it's time to start executing. That's where things sometimes get off track. So creating capacity is one way to find more time. And then at some point, you just need to decide and you need to think, you know, am I going to do this or am I going to, you know, really just be devoting myself to other people's priorities for the entirety of my career? Am I going to spend all of my time billing hours for clients, helping them to achieve their objectives and really put my, my own aside. I think it's important to start thinking of yourself as your own most important client. And with that, starting to sell yourself one hour of your time every day to work on some of these important objectives. Again, one hour of your time each workday is probably about 10% of your day. And I think we all we all can come wrap our minds around the fact that we should be spending at least 10% of our time working on our most important priorities. So if you have that mindset where you think, okay, from 8am to 9am every day before I get into email, before I start responding to voicemails or getting distracted with something else, I'm going to incrementally and systematically work on business development, create a strategic plan for myself, start implementing some of these principles of scale into my practice. Before long, just as you know, it takes a page a day over the course of a year to write a novel, it takes an hour a day uh, every day to build a, a sustainable practice. And, and that investment in time will, will simply compound into greater returns over time. Um, it's just a matter of having the will and discipline to do it. Absolutely right, Jay. The will and the discipline. I appreciate you for being on the show again. Uh, talking about this topic. And we're going to put all of your contact information on the show notes, but maybe you could kind of give a quick summary. What offerings do you have that people can reach out to you to, to really get value from? What's kind of the, the menu of offerings that you offer to people that you work with, Jay? I appreciate that, Scott. So my agency is called Harrington Communications. So you can find everything we do there. It's The website is hcommunications.biz. I've also uh, written three books. So if you want to check them out, my latest, as you mentioned, Scott, is called The Productivity Pivot. You can find all of those on Amazon or yeah, wherever a, you, you look it's for fantastic books. book. Fantastic book, by the way. It's great. Thank you. Appreciate it. I have a podcast as well, Scott. You were a recent guest. Uh, it's called The Thought Leadership Project. So you can find that. We put out new episodes every week. And then, you know, I do quite a bit of writing. I write for Attorney at Work. I write for Law.com. I have my own blog on my website. And uh, I'm also pretty active on LinkedIn. So I try to share at least some content every day on LinkedIn. So if that's kind of the, the hub or the epicenter of where I'm really sharing all of the content I create. So if you want to connect with me on LinkedIn, I'd, I'd love to you know meet you at least in that digital platform. That's great, Jay. And we'll make sure to put your LinkedIn link on the show notes as well. So people listening can go right there and find you pretty, pretty easily. Jay, thanks for being on the show again. And I'm sure we'll have you on here again in the future. Scott, it was a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. For more information about our recruiting services for international law firms, visit our website at attorneysearchgroup.com. To inquire about having Scott speak at your next convention, conference, sales meeting, or executive retreat, visit therainmakingpodcast.com.